from WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. You're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, we'll visit with award-winning artist Jose Torres Tama. His latest work is a perilous photo journey documenting Latin American roofers working in the wake of Hurricane Ida in New Orleans in September 2021. And Havana artists are being celebrated in a new exhibit called Cuba Revisited 20 years later. But first, next week brings Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a time to honor the Reverend and Freedom Fighter's legacy of fighting for racial justice. Today we will revisit a 2014 episode of American Roots Shortcuts, where we hear from those who knew King personally. Some remember the night he died in Memphis like Captain Clark Doc Hawley, and others remember his life, like R&B singer-turned-preacher Mabel John. John grew up singing gospel and the blues with her ten siblings, including her brother Willie, who's famous for his song, Fever. My brother Willie met him before I did, and because I was traveling with Willie, I got to know him and understand what he was about. Uh, he was about nonviolence, but he knew things needed to change. And he also was smart enough to know that even though he was about nonviolence, some people would be violent. Well, we always stayed when we were at Stacks at the Lorraine Motel. And he stayed whenever he would come to Memphis at the Lorraine Motel. I had a certain room there that I liked. And every time he was coming to town, he was getting the same room. <laughs> and we had never been in town at the same time. Well, I was in town to record. I had to stay over another day. Dr. King was coming in the next day. The owners of the Lorraine Motel said to me, said, oh, Miss John, do you mind since you're leaving tomorrow anyway, getting out of the room very early and so we can get it ready for him and we'll give you a room down the hall? I said, no, I don't mind. I said, it'll give me a chance to say hello to him. He said, I heard you had my room. I said, yes, I heard you wanted mine. And, and we just kind of swapped a few words like that. And I left. And by the time I arrived in Chicago and got off the plane, everybody in the airport was talking about Dr. King has been shot. I said, that can't be true. I just left him in Memphis. And just that quick that man's life was gone is there a, a piece of music you associate with martin luther king and that the song that i recorded at that time of his assassination is same time same place meet me at the same time same place I'm Captain Clark Doc Hawley, pilot on the Mississippi River, and I was in Memphis with the Delta Queen uh, the very day and night that Martin Luther King was killed, and I was at the foot of Beale Street with the Delta Queen, and to see that skyline of Memphis burning 
huge flames, smoke. That was one of the most important things I think I ever witnessed, if you want to say witnessed, but I was there. Mm. I was right at the foot of Beale Street. The mood uh, among the crew must have been very emotional. It was really emotional. Probably three quarters of my crew was black, you mm. see. I had this boat full of passengers, and um, I really would like to have gotten out of town, but we, we couldn't do it. And, because uh, you weren't getting the supplies because the whole town was right. essentially in chaos. Yes. And the housekeeping staff, unbeknownst to me, had gone down on the riverbank below Beale Street, and they had broken off branches of willows that grow at the edge and woven the most beautiful wreath. It was a wreath as big as round as an oil drum, which black firemen painted black for them. And the next day they came to me and asked to have a little ceremony and to throw the wreath in the river. We invited the passengers to come up, and they all came. Black and white. Black and white. And it was one of the most memorable things I've ever done with them singing a hymn, Swing Low Sweet Chariot. And those people had worked all night weaving that wreath painted black with a big black bow on it. I hated to throw it in the river. It was so pretty. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, this is Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Multidisciplinary, award-winning artist Jose Torres Tama has a new series of photographs titled Latin American Roofers Post-Ida. The exhibit is part of Photo NOLA 2022, an annual festival of photography in New Orleans. Jose joins us now. Welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thank you very much, Diane. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Jose, you have been documenting the work of Latin American immigrants in New Orleans for nearly two decades now. Tell us about your latest work. What are you exploring? Well, simply enough, right after the electricity came back post-Ida, immediately who was on the roof repairing? Uh, Latin American immigrant reconstruction work is the way they've been repairing since Katrina. And I didn't have to go very far. Right here on my block, there were crews that were Guatemalan. Honduran and Mexican repairing my neighbor's roof. And I simply began taking photographs and talking to them and trying to find out more. And what was interesting was that immediately after the electricity went back up, because most of us lost electricity, I lost electricity for about nine days. And then come the 10th day, immediately I hear some hammering and reconstruction. I hear some folks speaking and I step out, and they weren't speaking Spanish. I was quite sure that they were Latin Americans. I mean, they were mestizo like myself, a hybrid specimen of being Spanish and indigenous. I was born in Ecuador, so I am called a mestizo because I'm mixed, and I'm actually part German as well. Thomas and all Bavarian German names. So I'm hearing the workers speak, and I know they're not speaking Spanish. And I just approached them. Because I'm standing on my porch, and they're right there below me, a whole group, including women. And I said, are you speaking Maya? They responded, yes. And they spoke to me in Spanish. And immediately, two women came up and said, yeah, we're Mayan. And I said, wow. And I just thought, are you Honduran Mayan or Guatemalan or Mexican Mayan? They were Guatemalan. They were a crew from outside of Atlanta. And it was blowing my mind away. And, you know, I just said, hey, I take photographs of uh, immigrant workers reconstructing the city, would you mind? And I took some photographs of them working on the roofs. And what was 
not surprising, but surprising still, was that they were up there on the roofs with very little scaffolding. And there was a crew, about a dozen women themselves were up on the roofs as well. You know, it was like a wake-up moment again. Hey, here are my immigrant people reconstructing roofs all across the city one more time. And I started posting the photographs on Facebook, and everyone was like, yeah, I've seen crews in my neighborhood. And yeah, how is it that they're not supplied with the proper scaffolding? or any of the equipment, and I spoke to the women, and they said, the Guatemalan crew, and they said, yeah, you know, we have to do our work, and we do our best, and we have to be careful. Tell us a little bit more about the photos. Can you describe a couple of the works that will be on exhibit? This is my 10th year of being involved with PhotoNola and exhibiting a variety of photographs from the series that I've been taking and capturing immigrant workers. Many of them are from public protest, but these are from the roof. And what was even more surprising was that as I was dropping off my boy, Diego, to Tremay School, that's where I have one of the most dramatic photos. And that is on the way back, I'm on Henrietta de Lille Street, and I see these workers up on a second floor roof. At the time, all you could see is their silhouettes, and there's these large clouds. And that's one of the most dramatic pictures that most people seem to be gravitating to. I I get a lot of really strong responses when I just printed a large one, an 18 by 24 version of it. It's dramatic because they're up on a two-story building that has a balcony, and there's all these clouds, you know, in their back. And it's early in the morning, and it's 8 a.m. on a September morning right after the electricity came back. There's just one huge ladder, and this must be like a 40-foot ladder. And all you can see is the silhouette of them. Six workers are up there. And I'm speaking to them. I go, hey, talking to them in Spanish. And that's a Mexican crew up there. And I go, hey, tienen que tener cuidado. You have to be careful. He goes, yeah, you know. And I said, um, you don't have any ropes or anything. No scaffolding, no ropes. And they were up there repairing roofs. And then on the other side of my neighbor's house, there was a Honduran crew. And what was even more striking about that one is that you see a young man, and this is one of the photographs, right? You see a young man, and he's got one of these large wooden planks that he's carrying up the ladder while he's negotiating all these wires. And they were moving swiftly up these ladders, maybe some had ropes, and repairing roofs. It was pretty phenomenal. And at the same time, I'm thinking, wow, the contractors don't give any of the workers any protection, any scaffolding. They just have them go up there on the roofs and do the work, and hopefully nobody falls. The Guatemalan group that I began photographing first on my block on St. Rock Avenue, they were tied together by a single rope. But if one of them slipped, they all would slip. So very precarious. And um, two of the Guatemalan women, once we spoke Spanish, said, hey, you know, can can we use your bathroom? And I said, sure. And then one of the contractors comes over to me and goes, hey, thank you for letting them use the, the, the restroom. I said, yeah, but, you know, you've got a crew of a dozen people. Why aren't you providing a porta party I mean, why don't you get that? I mean, your people need to be relieved. Like, yeah, I said, well, you know, you need to be more responsible. <laughs> and I was like straight up letting him know. I said, you know, he goes, yeah, you're taking photographs? I said, yeah, because I've been documenting and photographing uh, the immigrant workers here post-Katrina, and I hope you're paying them because I've documented many workers, you know, who've actually been stolen from, and they've experienced wage theft when the contractors do not pay them properly as they are promised. And here you have roofers 
doing this very dangerous work. I just hope you pay me. And then he started kind of walking away from me, right? Because now I was asking him some questions. I said, yeah, I'm a photojournalist. So I document them. I'll probably make large photographs of these. Now, Jose, why is this work so important for you? Our people seem ubiquitous and invisible at the same time. We're everywhere, but yet we're nowhere because of the fact that many of these folks are undocumented and they're repairing and they just become the new brown help. And I concentrate my photographic lens on the forgotten Latin American immigrants that continue to rebuild the islands after each hurricane since Katrina. And we're going into 2023. It'll be literally 18 years since. And the work is important because I like to chronicle my people. And photographs are a way to tell a people's story. I just want people to understand that we are here, you know, black and brown people have been repairing this city, uh, reconstructing this city, and yet the workers still suffer a lot. How many of our people are reconstructing and still have to deal with the perilous aspects of not just the conditions of working, but having to deal with immigration agents that are after them for their undocumented status, you know, people are rebuilding the city continuously. So I want people to walk away with the understanding of the humanity of our people. I, I chronicle the existence of my Latin American people because there are books that are trying to erase us out of history. Multidisciplinary award-winning artist Jose Torres Tama, thanks so much. Thank you, Diane. Jose Torres Tama will open his Arte Futero home studio at 1329 St. Rock Avenue for a closing event of his photo series, Latin American Roofers Post-Ida. On Saturday afternoon, January 14th, from 3 until 6 p.m., there will be an artist talk at 5 p.m. More info is online at torrestama.com. That's T-O-R-R-E-S. T-A-M-A dot com. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. Gallerist Jonathan Ferreira continues his gallery's relationship with Cuba and its artists. It's an exchange that began two decades ago. Now a new exhibit titled Cuba Revisited, 20 years later, celebrates the work of nine Havana-based artists working in various mediums. Jonathan Ferreira joins us with artist Elio Jesus. Welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Tell me, how did the initial journey, Jonathan, to Cuba come about? Uh, it was about 1998 during the Havana Biennale that a group from New Orleans, about like 20 people, went to the Havana Biennale. And while they were there, they met an artist named Damian Aquiles. After that visit, he came to the United States, came to New Orleans. And I can remember because I was just opening my first gallery. And I can remember like sweeping the floors and in walks a woman named Merritt Chalette, who at that time was the development director at the Contemporary Arts Center, and she brought Damian into the gallery to introduce me, and she said, you should do a show of Cuban work, and I said, well, you know, the only way I would do that if I flew to Havana myself and chose the artwork, and at that time, as a young, struggling gallerist, 
I could barely afford a flight to go see my mother. So that's what I thought. And then three months later, I found myself in Havana with a film crew, some collectors going and doing about 20 studio visits across Havana, which resulted in the first exhibition of Cuban work that I did called Made in Cuba. And that was in 2001. And then subsequently, I went back in 2002 and did more studio visits. And the next exhibition was called Havana Inside Out. So that was really the beginning of my work in Cuba and working with artists, mainly from Havana. And what was it that intrigued you about the country's artists and their art? The beautiful thing about artists and artwork from Cuba is, uh, I say this in an interesting way, but they're able to make something from nothing. The materials that they have or had at that time were very rudimentary. In the United States, we can access all kinds of art materials. We have access to everything. Cuba doesn't have that. And the artists in Cuba didn't have that at the time. Some would work with toothpaste tubes, oxidation in rust, sandpaper, a variety of different media. And that was interesting to me. But also the fact that Cuban artists have this wonderful ability to communicate such great ideas with such little materials. It's like the maximum from the minimum. Now, Elio, this is your first trip to the United States? Yes, it is, and it's really exciting. It's a great opportunity to present my work here. It's an audience I, I really would like to contact with. I believe there are several opportunities to develop ideas. How did you meet Jonathan? I met Jonathan in Havana. He went to my studio in Havana. I have a, an old house and studio there and we connect really fast about the, the work I, I was doing. I was working with papers and drawings and art installation but in, in a mix of all that and uh, we connect and okay we can really de develop several interesting ideas together and some of that are set on the exhibition. What are you exploring in your work? It's about the fragility of human nature, I would say, about uh, our relationship with nature and the relationship we have with ourselves as society. Uncertainty about the future, so all those ideas are mixed on my work. And in my later works, I've been working with recycled materials like paper or plastic because I mix uh, two ideas problems that I really consider about, the social issues and the environment. So it's a mix of that. The, one of the great things about this exhibition is that there's a variety of different work. Elio's work, for example, is a younger generation of artists from Cuba. And so in this exhibition, we have some artists that exhibited 20 years ago, and then we have new artists. Elio's specific work, it's kind of presents a little mystery and it requires your investigation. You have to look at the piece and see how it's constructed. And I think that that's an important part of the process. But all the other artists, there's works on paper, there's photography, there's sculpture. So it shows a variety of different materials and messages. And Cuba and New Orleans have a very special relationship. Historically, uh, Havana was the, I think, was the provincial seat for New Orleans and then vice versa. There's always been an existing relationship between the two cities. And if you go to Havana and you see Havana Vieja and you see New Orleans in the French Quarter 
there's a similarity of structure, of decay, of the way that things work and don't work. The two places are very similar, and there's a similar aesthetic, even though they're culturally different. Now, Elio, <clears throat> can you describe one of your favorite works in the show? Yeah, sure. Uh, there is one I really like, which is a, like, a, I would say, a big wall, big wall, with uh, several fragments of history traveling on it, with elements of re that relate uh, stories. Um, it's kind of looks like kind of stones, and in the top there is a, a small tree. It's a work about dreaming, about hoping for uh, the future. For me, it's a uh, I have a, a mix about stuff that we have to work on in the country and in life in general terms um in a specific i always see the the potential we have so the potential we have of humanity to be better about the what we can create for the future one of the other things that just came to mind is the fact that when i went 20 years ago I feel like there's more artists working more younger artists and that there's a, uh, uh, there's just more creation happening. That's my perspective that we were able to see many, many more artists this time than last time. I also want to say something else that another reason why I wanted to do this exhibition 20 years later was because of the amazing response that people from new Orleans had to the first two exhibitions. It was something that in the art world locally, everyone talked about, everyone experienced, and people still remember those two exhibitions. So I'm excited to bring this back because it kind of taps into that excitement from 20 years ago. How are you hoping local audiences will connect with these new works? A lot of times for Cuban work is visceral. What you feel and what you see and how you react to that. And then there's the conceptual that's layered on top of that. There's different access points, different entry points for people to connect with the work. I hope they feel a, a humanity there and something that be closer to them. That kind of connections of the feelings that we share. Gallerist Jonathan Ferreira and Cuban artist Elio Jesus. So nice to talk with you. Thanks so much. Thanks. The exhibit Cuba Revisited 20 Years Later is on view through February 18th at Jonathan Ferrara Gallery in the New Orleans Arts District. There will be a closing reception on February 4th. More info at jonathanferraragallery.com. <laughs> From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guest, multidisciplinary artist Jose Torres Tama, gallerist Jonathan Ferrara, and Cuban artist Elio Jesus. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. 
Our engineers are Garrett Pittman and Aubrey Procell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.